I've thought this week about how this week should have been, should have felt more special. And I just wanted this special feeling. And oftentimes it is when we reflect on Scripture, but sometimes we see Jesus in the mundane. And I couldn't help but think, even as we met Thursday night and we celebrated Maundy Thursday, that for many in Jerusalem, it was just another day. And yet, little did they know that the Messiah had come into the city, they had hailed Him, they had hailed Him as King, they said, save us, save us, but that He would be crucified, that He would be raised from the dead. They didn't know that all of human history would change. They didn't realize what was taking place. And in the same way, the world around us, many people are not in church this morning, They're at home and it's just another Sunday. And in the midst of the mundane, the resurrection has profound implications for how we live. So I want to go before the Lord this morning and then think about and talk about the resurrection of Jesus Christ and what it means to us. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for today. Thank you for your grace and your mercy. I thank you for this time to come together as a body in your word to examine what it says, to examine how it applies to our lives. God, I pray that you would give us grace. I pray that today you would draw many souls to yourself. God, I pray for revival, but God, I pray that that revival would begin even here and now, that you would stir in us a desire to live for you, to live for your glory and your glory alone. God, give us a view of eternity that helps us to not live for the pleasures of this world, but instead for the life that is to come. And God, give us grace as we seek to apply all that we see this morning. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. So today we gather to celebrate, as I mentioned, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And Dan began by reading that resurrection account. And then Bill read uh, another portion of Scripture from 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1-20. through And he talked about Christ being raised from the dead. And in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1-20, through we saw, we saw this passage which deals with the principles of the Gospel, the essentials of the Gospel. Paul says, I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died, that He was buried, and that He was raised on the third day. And all this happened according to the Scriptures. He says all of this happened, that Christ died, that He was buried, and that He was raised. That is the Gospel. That's of first importance for you to understand. That you can't separate the death of Jesus from the resurrection of Jesus. And he says all these things happened, and he says, and I want you to know that if Jesus was not raised from the dead, in verses 14 through 18, this is not the sermon, by the way, this is the introduction. In verses 14 through 18, he says, I want you to know that if Christ was not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, your faith is in vain. We're found to be false witnesses because we testified against God that He raised Christ, whom He didn't. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. And you're still in your sins. And those who have fallen asleep before you, they're perished. They're dead and gone. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, if Christ has not been raised, then your, your faith is in vain. There's no point in believing it. It's fruitless. And he says, moreover, you're a false witness against God. Even more so, he says, your faith is worthless and you're still in your sins. There's no value to your faith if Jesus wasn't raised from the dead. And he says that even above that, those who died before you, all those people that you say, I'm going to see them in heaven one day, he says, if Christ has not been raised from the dead, no, you will not. They're gone. 
They're in the ground, is what he's saying, and their body's rotting if Christ hasn't been raised from the dead. See, the resurrection is of profound importance. That's why he says, if we have hoped in Christ in this life only, verse 19, we are above all men most to be pitied because we have followed a lie. Something that is complete nonsense and utter folly. But then he says in verse 20, but now Christ has been raised from the dead the first fruits of those who are asleep. He says, but all those things are not true because of the resurrection. Because Christ was raised from the dead. And by the way, He was the first fruits. There's more fruit to follow. Namely, you, you too, will be raised from the dead. So there's great hope in that passage. And it's important for us to understand that passage as we look to the passage that we're going to be studying Today, as we continue on, Paul lays that foundation and then he points to something. He points to the the effect the resurrection has on us as believers. So we're going to look at 1 Corinthians 15, verses 50 through 58. So if you'll stand with me for the reading of God's Word. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 50 through 58. Now I say this, brethren that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed For this perishable must put on the imperishable, and this mortal must put on immortality. But when this perishable will have put on the imperishable, and this mortal will have put on immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading, the hearing, and the applying of His Word. Amen. You may be seated. So I wanted to have Bill read 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1-20 through to lay that foundation. Then I wanted to read 50-58, through but the focus of my message this morning will be on verse 58. And I feel it's necessary to have that background, but verse 58 I feel is necessary to really expound upon, to talk on, because this is the application, this verse is the application of the verses that precede it. It begins with, therefore. And we want to be focused as a church on application. We want to be not just hearers of the Word, but also doers of the Word. We want to ask the question, so what? So Jesus was raised from the dead 2,000 years ago. So what? Is the question that we need to ask. And how does that impact me living here in South Thomaston, Maine in 2018? How does that affect me tomorrow morning when I go to work? How does that affect me in raising my kids? How does that affect me as a husband? How do these things affect our life? 
So verse 58 is the application of the verses that precede it. You see, I want you to know how the resurrection of Jesus actually affects your life. In other words, I don't want you to know just facts or ideas. I could stand up here and we could actually talk about proof that the resurrection was real. And I don't think that's helpful this morning. Or we could talk about all the reasons that we believe the resurrection. Or we could talk about what the resurrection, what happened during those events. You can read about those events in the Gospels. Instead, I want to aim at Scripture today. I want us to aim Scripture to see how it can impact our lives. Look again at 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Paul writes this. He says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain. So for our outline this morning, we're going to see three things. We're going to see remembering the resurrection encourages us to be, number one, fearless. Remembering the resurrection encourages us to be faithful And then remembering the resurrection enables us to be fruitful. So it encourages us to be fearless. It encourages us to be faithful. But it enables us to be fruitful. That's what we see as we remember the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You see, I believe this addresses a very real need in our lives and in the lives of people today. I think most people, if they're honest, their lives are marked by fear You know, the trials of life, they come at us and they toss us to and fro. That when trouble comes, it just, it seems to have such a huge impact on our lives. And those are the calls that, if you're in ministry, if you're a pastor, those are the calls that you get at 11 o'clock at night, or the calls you get at 2 in the morning, when somebody's in distress, and the fear of the unknown and the fear of these trials comes at them, and they toss us about. It's like being tossed about. It's like, an, it's like an inlander on a lobster boat during a storm, right? They get tossed to and fro. And I think people's lives are often marked by fear. I think people's lives are also marked by fruitlessness and by wavering and uncertainty. We think of wavering and uncertainty when we see that people say, well, should I do this or should I do that? Or where should I go or what should I do? And I don't know what God has for me. So we have this fear, and then we have this, un- this wavering and uncertainty in our lives, and then this fruitlessness, just always striving, always trying to get ahead, whether it's making more money, or whether it's becoming a, b- a better person at work, or trying to make ends meet, or whatever it is, feeling like we're on a treadmill, and sometimes life just feels like it's a treadmill. Like every day I just go through the motions, and I feel like I'm getting nowhere, and I'm accomplishing nothing. So I believe that as we look at Verse 58, we see great hope in this verse. So let's jump into our sermon outline with point number one. Remembering the resurrection encourages us to be fearless. Number one, fearless. Paul begins by saying this, Therefore, in light of the the gospel, in light of the resurrection, because of all I've said about the reality of the resurrection, Christ has been raised from the dead. Therefore, my beloved brethren, therefore followers of Jesus, that's what he's saying, Be steadfast and immovable. See, these two terms are similar and they go hand in hand. The term steadfast refers to being firmly established in one's position. Or firmly established in one's opinions. It appears twice, two other times in Scripture. The first time in 1 Corinthians 7 where he says, 
He who stands firm, same word, he who stands firm in his heart. He who is rooted in his position, being under no constraint, but has authority over his own will. He says that person, he stands firm. Or in Colossians 1.23, the same word is used again. He says, if indeed you continue in the faith, firmly established and steadfast, firmly rooted, firmly established in your position, and not moved away from the hope of the gospel that you have heard. So the term steadfast refers to being firmly established. And the term immovable is used only here in Scripture. It's used just this one time. But it carries the idea of not being easily shaken. Not being distracted. Not being shaken from one's opinions or beliefs. So you can see how these two terms connect. And they're interrelated. But being immovable, not easily shaken, is a result of being steadfast. In other words, having a deep-rooted belief or conviction leads to not being easily shaken. You know, for example... Um, you know, we could argue, I could argue with Matt that uh, Android phones are better than Apple phones, or any really any kind of Windows product is better than an Apple product. And but Matt is steadfast in this position that Apple products are better than anything else. He's steadfast in that position, and because he's steadfast, he's immovable. It doesn't matter how much I argue with him, right? He's immovable. He's not shaken from that position. So when he sees me arguing for something else, he doesn't move from that position. For a more spiritual example, one may be steadfast in the view. They may be convinced in their mind that God causes all things to work together for good. For those who love God, for those who are called according to His purpose. That's what Romans 8.28 says. And you may be steadfast in that. But when you're steadfast in that position, the result is that even when difficult circumstances come into your life, you're not shaken from it. You see, when somebody is steadfast in that position, they're unshaken, they're immovable, and therefore they're firm in their faith, and they're convinced that God is in control, and that He will use whatever is happening in their life for good. I cannot tell you how important it is to be steadfast in this position. Because the storms of life will come at you, and they're going to try to toss you to and fro, and you need to be firmly rooted Hardest thing for me as a pastor, this isn't really in the message, but one of the hardest things for me as a pastor is when somebody's not firmly rooted and they try to root themselves after the trouble comes because it's so hard. You can't root yourself when you're being tossed to and fro. You got to get rooted now before the trouble comes. You got to get rooted now. There's no opportunity or very little opportunity when you're sitting with somebody in the hospital. Somebody calls and they say, my son has contracted swine flu and is being life flighted from Penn Bay to Maine Med right now. There's very little opportunity to sit in the hospital with them and say, you know, God causes all things to work together for good for those who love Him, for those who are called according to His purpose. It, it, you can say that, but it's hard. It's hard to grab hold of that. But when they're firmly rooted in that, when they believe that, then when the trial comes, then they say, I know this to be true and I'm rooted here. Therefore, I'm unshaken. See, this idea of being steadfast makes me think of a tree. We've all seen stories. You don't have to be reading news sites very long before you see a car or a truck that hits a tree. It leaves the the roadway and it hits a giant tree. And the results of such 
Crashes are usually fatal. Why? Because trees are steadfast. They're deeply rooted and therefore they are immovable. They're not easily shaken even by a 3,000 pound car or truck that's moving at 60 miles an hour. And in very much the same way, Paul is encouraging the church in Corinth to be steadfast. He says, be fully convinced of the resurrection. Therefore, immovable, not easily shaken. He's reminding them that because of the resurrection, they don't need to fear anything in this life, but instead should be living in light of eternity. See, the resurrection of Christ and the promises that we are the first fruits and the promise that we are the first fruits ensures that we can agree with the psalmist who wrote this in Psalm 56. He said, In God whose word I praise, in the Lord whose word I praise, in God I have put my trust. I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? Your vows are binding upon me, O God. I know your promises are true, is what he's saying. I will render thank offerings to you. I'm going to thank you for your promises even before they're realized. For you have delivered my soul from death. Even before it happens, he says, I know you have delivered my soul. You've promised it, therefore it's as good as real and true. Indeed, my feet from stumbling so that I may walk before God in the light of the living. He says, you have rescued me from even death because your promises are true. It's also why Paul and his... Second letter to the Corinthians, verse, uh, chapter 4, he said, We know that he, raised Jesus, he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus. Therefore, we do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory, far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, not at the trials of this life, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal. They're only here for a little while, and then they're gone. But the things which are not seen, they're eternal. In other words, he says, we don't lose heart, even though we're dying. For we know that because of the resurrection, Christ defeated death. We don't have anything to fear. What is the worst that can happen to us? We die? What is the worst that man can do to us? Can he kill us? What is the worst that can happen? We we die tomorrow and we spend eternity with God in heaven? Our bodies are raised to newness of life? Your body's sick and full of disease now and you will be raised to newness of life and spend eternity with a new body? You see, Paul doesn't want the Corinthian believers to fear death. That's why he just said in verses 54 and 55 of our text, he said, When this perishable will have put on the imperishable, and this mortal will have put on immortality, then will come about the saying, then this saying will be realized fully. Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? See, Paul wants the Corinthians to remember the resurrection of Jesus. And he wants them to remember that he was the first fruit, that there's more to follow. And that Jesus has swallowed up death so that they may experience eternal life. See, He wants them to be steadfast, firmly rooted in the truth of the resurrection so that they will be immovable, unshaken regardless of what comes their way. So remembering the resurrection encourages fearlessness. 
Because being rooted in the truth of the resurrection, understanding the gospel, knowing that though we were sinners, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us so that we might be forgiven, that He took the place on the cross that we rightly deserved. He died in our place and He was raised to newness of life, that He defeated death and sin, that because of the resurrection, it gives us a firm footing so that we will not be easily moved. So having seen that remembering the resurrection encourages us to be fearless, now let's consider that remembering the resurrection encourages us to be faithful. It encourages us to be faithful. Paul says this, verse 58 again, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Notice first that Paul is not speaking of their work per se, but instead the work of the Lord. He's speaking of a specific work. Thus, he's referring to their participation, their work, and what God is doing, namely the building up of His church. You see, God wants them to be used by God in His work in building up the church, and He is clear the Corinthian believers are to be doing this always. The word always, if you do a word study, it means without reference to time. In other words, it means always. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. The word abounding carries the idea of considerably more than what is expected. It seems that the, the, the same Greek word, it is the same Greek word that we see used in the feeding of the 5,000 in Matthew 14. He says, they ate and they all were satisfied. They picked up what was left over. They picked up what was abounding. They picked up what was considerably more than they even expected. It's what they picked up. It's also the same word that is used in 2 Corinthians 1.5 where we read this, For just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance, so also our comfort is abundant through Christ. It's the same word that we see used in Romans 5 where it talks about grace abounded to the many. You see, when quantifying God's grace, the word Paul uses is abundant. Because it's not quantifiable. He says there's so much. It's more than you can even expect or imagine. It's more than what can be fathomed. So when you combine these words always and abounding as Paul did, it's clear that he's talking about very real and faithful service to the Lord. He's not talking about, by the way, spending 30 minutes or a week to be about the Lord's work. And I don't mean to discredit Right, the work that we do, whether it's through, um, whether it's through teaching Sunday school or whatever those things are that we do within the church, he's not. But he's he's not talking about some small sacrifice. He's talking about far more than that. We're not talking about occasionally giving up TV so that we can go to through our Sunday school lesson in ten minutes and be prepared. Paul is talking about always abounding. That means never ceasing to do considerably more than what we thought might be expected of us. And how many of us serve this way? This is not just, this is not just in the church. What he's pointing to here is a whole life of service. Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. So when you eat lunch, I want to ask you, are you doing it to the glory of God? When you go home and you take a nap, which I very much intend to do today, I will do so to the glory of God. Everything we do, we should do to His glory. That's what he's talking about. 
Not living for ourselves, living for Him. And as I nap, I'll be reminded, I am weak, I am flesh, I need grace, I need the Lord Jesus. Praise God for His reminder that I am weak and I need rest, because I'm not Him. You know, John MacArthur, in writing about always abounding in the work of the Lord, says this, He says, what a word Paul gives to the countless Christians who work and pray and give and suffer as little as they can. How can we be satisfied with the trivial, insignificant, short-lived things of this world? How can we take it easy when so many around us are dead spiritually and so many fellow believers are in need of edification, encouragement, and help of every sort? When can a Christian say, I serve my time, I've done my part, let others do the work now? He goes on, he says, you know the old saying, better to burn out than to rust out? He says, I'm afraid that most Christians today are in far greater danger of rusting out than they are indeed of burning out. I know that's probably more likely the case even in my own life. And I need to be encouraged to be faithful. And the way to encourage faithfulness is to remember the resurrection. That's what Paul is pointing to here. He spent this entire chapter writing on the resurrection. And just like remembering the resurrection produces courage and it produces fearlessness because it gives us an eternal perspective, so also remembering the resurrection encourages faithfulness. In that an eternal perspective helps us to not want to settle for the pleasures of this life alone. When our minds are fixed on eternity, when we realize that we will be dead and gone much sooner than we think, that we had better not live for the pleasures of this life. That we'd better live in light of eternity and therefore make an eternal impact. So having seen that remembering the resurrection encourages us to be fearless and and remembering the resurrection encourages us to be faithful, now let's consider our third and final point that remembering the resurrection enables us to be fruitful. So it encourages fearlessness, it encourages faithfulness, but it enables fruitfulness. It enables us to be fruitful. He says in verse 58 again, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. The word toil carries the idea of laboring with hardship. And it builds upon the idea of always abounding. You know, the Christian life is not always easy. Life in and of itself, whether you're a Christian or not, is not always easy. And Paul's telling them that they will toil. The word carries the idea of laboring right to the point of exhaustion. But Paul wants them to know that as they labor to the point of exhaustion, as they toil, it will not be in vain if it is work done in the Lord. He wants them to know that if they keep the resurrection in mind, if they live in light of eternity then their lives will not be fruitless, but instead will be fruitful. Because why? Because the Lord will accomplish His purposes. Because of the resurrection of the dead, because there is a life lived beyond the one lived here, Paul says, if you live for the Lord, your toil is not in vain. Why? Because a life of faithfulness is a life of fruitfulness. That we are called to faithfulness and that faithfulness produces fruitfulness because God is the one who produces the fruit in us. This is a message that I sometimes 
and I might even argue, often need to remind myself of. I need to preach myself to myself this very message, right? That the remembering the resurrection enables us to be fruitful. Sometimes I start thinking that all my effort is in vain. I said last week um, in my sermon, I said that I often want immediate results. What I want to do is I want to, I want to spend 20 minutes preparing a sermon. This is, I mean, this is just Jason Pauly in the flesh, right? I spend way more than 20 minutes, by the way. But I, want, I want to spend 20 minutes on my sermon, and I want to come in, I want to preach for the exact amount of time you want me to preach. So whatever that is. Some of you say 20 minutes, some of you say 45, whatever, right? The exact amount of time that you want me to preach, I want you to all be just thrilled and amazed at how brilliant I am, and I want you to all walk away as perfectly mature Christians in one message. That's what I want. I want immediate results. I think, why can't I just get up here, preach the Word of God, you all become perfect, and hallelujah, on to glory we go. And when I don't see that, I think, oh, what's the use? Why bother? Why do I even do this? And there are times, folks, during the week when I think, why bother? Did you see what Kim was doing during... No, but like, what's the point in this? Is it bearing any fruit? And it's in those moments when I need to ask myself, what am I living for? Am I living for the pleasures of this world or am I living for the Lord? For if I have my mind fixed on eternity, then my toil will not be in vain. That's what Paul says. He says, you're laboring to the point of exhaustion. won't be in vain. Because our effort is not in vain when we're doing the Lord's work. It may sometimes look like it, and it may sometimes feel like it, but it's not. That's the encouragement. John 15, verses 4-5 through says this, Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. So neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from, from me, you can do nothing. And oftentimes we think, we read this and we think of the, I need to abide in the vine, I need to abide in the vine, I need to abide in the vine. And that's true, but what we miss is the promise. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. It's a great promise there. Abide in the vine. Trust in Jesus. Live in light of eternity. Be faithful to him. And you'll bear fruit. Even when you don't see it. Because we can trust his promises. We know that our toil is not in vain. And we can have an eternal impact. Even if we never see it this side. Of heaven. You know, there's many men and women in my life who I would love to say, Do you know what kind of an impact you had on me? I would love to encourage people who have gone on to glory, who are now in heaven, who I don't have an opportunity to speak to, but I would love to say to them, Do you know? Do you understand? Just to encourage them. And I'm sure every one of us can think of somebody who had a profound impact on our lives. But oftentimes, we don't see it. I think of, uh, there's a gentleman named Ralph Hofsis. Um, Ralph, I got to minister to Ralph. He was a member at First Baptist Church of Wildboro for 3,000 years. Um, him and his wife celebrated like their 70th wedding anniversary or something. And just amazing. And I got to watch him minister to his wife in the nursing home. You know how he ministered to me? How he encouraged me? Often it was just by sitting with his wife, rubbing her leg, telling her he loved her. 
for what seemed like forever, for years. My Gertie, he called her, Gertrude, right? Because he loved her. And that ministered to me, and it showed me how a husband should love his wife. His toil was not in vain. He was following the Lord. He was living in light of eternity. And as he did so, he was producing fruit. Even when he may not have ever seen it. So we can trust his promises and know that our toil is not in vain. And we can have an eternal impact. So by way of review, we look at 1 Corinthians 15.58. We see this. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast. Be firm in the Gospel. Understand the reality of the resurrection and what it represents as the, as the Gospel that Christ died, that He was buried, but that He was raised. He defeated death and sin. Be firm in that. Steadfast in that. And therefore, immovable. Not shaken. Not distracted. But instead, always, all the time, abounding, overflowing in the work of the Lord. Faithful to live for Him, knowing, brethren, that your toil is not in vain. It's not without result. But instead, it will be fruitful. For what He promises, He will bring to pass. He will accomplish. He will accomplish fruit through you as you are faithful to Him. Paul encourages the church in Corinth to remember the resurrection, knowing that it will encourage them to be fearless, that it will encourage them to be faithful, and that it will enable them to be fruitful. So how do we, here's the big question, how do we as Harmony Bible Church, both individually and corporately, specifically, apply all of this to our lives? How do we take this text and apply it? Well, number one, instead of living a life of fear, we should live what I call a life of reckless abandon for the Lord. We should be bold. We should be fearless, not fearful. For what is the worst that can happen to us? He says, we should live in light of eternity. That is Paul's point here. Don't just live for for this life. Live for the next. Set your eyes on heaven. You cannot be too heavenly minded, folks. So be bold. Live with reckless abandon for Him. And I'm preaching this to myself, by the way, as well. Number two, instead of living a life of wavering and uncertainty. So we shouldn't live a life of fear, but also we shouldn't live a life of wavering and uncertainty. We shouldn't live a life that is wondering where should we go? What should we do? How do we live? How do we act? What does God have for me? Instead, we should live a life of faithfulness. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Where has He placed you now? How can you be used now? How can you be faithful in this moment? and every moment of your life. We know what our course should be. Our course should be to follow Jesus and be faithful to Jesus, letting our focus on eternity shape the way we live now. That if you focus on heaven, that it will change the way you live here and now. And then thirdly, instead of a life of fruitlessness, we should live a life of fruitfulness. And we can live a life of fruitfulness. Knowing that if we let ourselves be, if we are faithful, that if our fearlessness, our bold, reckless abandon leads to faithfulness, then the result, his result in us, will be fruitfulness. That if we live with reckless abandon, and if we're faithful to him and follow him, that we will be fruitful. 
We will bear fruit in due season if we don't grow weary, as we've studied in Galatians. That we are called to continue to not grow weary, but instead live a life of fearlessness, a life of faithfulness, and as a result, a life of fruitfulness. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for today. Thank you for your grace and for your love. Thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you for the resurrection and the reminder to us that the life that we have here on earth is but a vapor. And God, that every one of us will ultimately live on forever. That every one of us will give an account for our lives. And God, that as we look to our lives, we recognize that we are all sinners, that we are all in need of a Savior. And I pray that everyone here would trust on the Lord Jesus Christ. God, that they would recognize their need to be forgiven. God, that they would trust in His life, His death, His burial, His resurrection, so that their life might be changed, they might be born again and made new so that they might live in eternity with You in heaven. God, I thank You for the promise that for those who make that decision, that for those who follow Your Son Jesus, that they will be raised to newness of life. And God, for those of us who have made that decision, I pray that we would live in light of that decision every day. God, that we would live in such a way that we would recognize that our life is but a vapor, that it will be gone soon, and that we are called to live a life of fearlessness, a life of faithfulness, and be fruitful for you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.